Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here at the church and those joining us online. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, I don't know how your last couple of weeks have been going, but let me tell you a little bit about mine. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my grandmother, who's 96, uh, you might remember her affectionately for, I'm often quoting her when I preach and giving little one-liners like, you know, Ryan, why are you so worked up that it's snowing? It's winter, uh, things like that. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, um, she took a turn and I thought that she was, uh, God was calling her home and, and, and that was really hard. And the last couple weeks, we've just been waiting to see like, is she gonna get better? Is she getting worse? We're not really sure. And that's hard, right? Like that, the waiting. And thankfully, she's gotten better. And then, and then yesterday, amen. And, and yesterday, I did my first funeral as a pastor and a family I've gotten to know over the last several weeks here. And, and that was really hard. It was good, but hard. And about an hour after I got home from the funeral, I got a call from a good friend of mine in Zimbabwe that my best friend in Zimbabwe had just lost his long battle with cancer. And as I, as I sat with the Lord yesterday afternoon and just praying, I was so thankful for our study in the book of Lamentations. Because as, we've been, uh, as we wrap up Lamentations today, I, I just was so thankful for the why behind Lamentations. That Lamentations invites us to bring our suffering. We choose to talk to God rather than remain silent, invites us to bring our suffering to God. And in talking to God, he'll walk us through our suffering. And we see again and again that he is our source of hope. Like the depth and maturity of our hope in Christ grows when we come to God with our suffering. So I was thankful for the why. As we grow, we grow in hope. But we also grow in seeing the suffering around us, that we're not indifferent or forgetful about the suffering around us. So I'm so thankful for our study of Lamentations and the why behind why we should practice it, why we should step into it. And Trent over the last five weeks has been showing us how, what are the elements of Lamentations? I'm gonna show them to you now. As I just said, it starts with choosing to talk to God rather than becoming silent. And then offering your complaint. And then when there's sin present, offering your confession of sin. And then making your request. Expressing your trust in God. And then again, if there's sin present, committing to actions that show true repentance. So we've been learning the how of lamentations. And that has been good and helpful. But today, I think Lamentations 5 offers us lessons on what brings us to lament in the first place. That very first element, choosing to talk to God rather than becoming silent. Uh, as I was sermon prepping, I was wandering through the neighborhood, uh, listening, and, uh, listening and just praying and talking to the Lord. And for whatever reason, the sound of music came to mind. And you know when Maria's teaching the Von Trapp children, uh, Do, Re, Mi, right? And it, and it starts with, I, I, I sang it the first service that went horribly horrible. 
So I won't do that again. You can find the tape from Chris and give him a lot of money and I'm sure he'll give it to you. But uh, it, it starts with, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Right, you're welcome, right? Let's start at the beginning for it's a very good place to start. I, I want you to think about that when you think about Lamentations 5 because I do think it helps us understand how to enter in, what to do to enter into Lamentations. I want to unpack Lamentations 5 for us today, but more importantly, I want us to grow in understanding what it means to enter into lament, what it takes to enter into lament, to choose to talk to God in the first place rather than remain silent. So let's read Lamentations chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first verse here. Lamentations chapter 5. Right away, it starts with a choice to talk with God. It says this, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Remember, O Lord, right? The author is choosing to talk with God rather than remain silent, right out of the gate. I want to read through Lamentations 5 now in its totality and then go back. And I want us to look at four questions Four questions that can help us bring us into lament in the first place. Four questions that will help us grow in choosing to talk with God rather than becoming silent. So let's read Lamentations chapter 5. This is what it says. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more. And we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion. Young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. 
unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Friends, to choose, to grow in choosing to talk to God rather than remaining silent. I think there are four questions that Lamentations 5 that we just read invites us to earnestly ask. These four questions came to mind as I study this and they've been helpful to me and I pray that they're helpful to you as we grow in learning to lament. But as we look at these four questions, the big idea for today is this. Here's the big idea. Seeing, caring, and yearning. Seeing, caring, and yearning will lead us to choose to talk with God rather than remaining silent. With this big idea in mind, here's the first question. First question asks is we consider what leads us to choose to talk with God rather than remain silent. And it's this, do we see the suffering around us? The author sees the suffering around him, right? Sees the suffering of God's people and describes it vividly. The author speaks to a suffering people. They are disgraced. Their inheritance is gone and turned over to others. They're like orphans and widows. They don't have enough water, adequate materials for shelter. They can't get those things because they're like slaves. And if they get any pay, it's very little. They are dying of starvation. Yet if they leave to find food, they're attacked, they're raped, or assaulted. There is no joy. Vivid imagery that the author sees, like verse 510. This is what it says. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Can't you just see that? The author sees that. The author sees the suffering, and I think that's instructive. We can't lament something unless we've seen it. In others or in ourselves, are we taking stock of what we see? Do we observe the suffering around us? We see commercials sometimes of of kids, you know, with flies in their face, or orphan care, or homelessness, right? We, We walk by the homeless, we see them, or closer to home, maybe loneliness, or a neighbor, someone with cancer, depression, anxiety, or substance misuse. After the first service, somebody told me, I just can't stop seeing suffering. I see it all the time. And others have said, I just don't know suffering. I don't know people who are suffering. How can both be true at the same time? If if we don't see suffering, we have to ask ourselves, is that true? And if it's true, why? Too often we... We think about suffering like, I want to learn more about this thing, and I want to grow in learning about suffering about this thing. And that's good to become an expert in something and to step into something. That's good. But that's not what I'm asking here. I'm saying, do you see the suffering around you? Do you see it as it is? Not what you want to see, picking and choosing, but do you see the suffering that's before you? Do we see the suffering Lamentations 5 reminds us to see the suffering around us. 
But once we see it, we have to ask, do we care? That's the second question. Do we care that there is suffering? The author so clearly cares to see the suffering around the author to the degree that he took the time to beautifully and intricately paint a picture. Friends, sometimes when we read the Bible, we just expect it to sound like this, right? But there was an actual person or people that got together and wrote this. They, they took the time to really consider what they were seeing to the degree that they wanted to write it down and express it beautifully so we and others could see it too. Lamentations 5 shows us that it's not enough to see, we have to care in order to step into lament. Lamentations 5.15, I want to read that for you. That's just, a, just one example in here of care. It says, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. It's not an observation about something they see like their skin and, and dying of starvation. It's, a, it's an observation of the heart that our joy, these people that I've seen, like the joy is no more. And this dancing, this freedom of expression has ceased and all there is is mourning. That shows care and concern. Do we care that they're suffering? We should. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Yesterday at the funeral, I read the story of Mary and Martha and, and Jesus when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. And 11.35, John 11.35 simply says, Jesus wept. He didn't just see the people, he wept with them. Even though he knew that he could and would bring Lazarus out of the tomb, he still wept, he cared. But when we see suffering, we too often do not care. In the book, I mean, in the movie Hotel Rwanda, which is a tough movie to see, it's about the genocide in Rwanda. Uh, there's this powerful scene that I just haven't forgotten since the first time I've seen that movie. It's it's a it's a scene between Paul, the hotel manager, and this guy named Jack, who's a is a news news reporter, documentarian, who's come to document the genocide. And, and Paul says this. I'm glad that you have shot this footage and that the world will see it. It's the only way we have a chance that people might intervene. And Jack says, yeah, and if no one intervenes, is it, still, is it still a good thing to show? And Paul says, how can they not intervene when they witness such atrocities? And Jack says, I think if people see this footage, they'll say, oh my, that's horrible. And then go on eating their dinners. Is that true for us? Part of why we're not growing in hope through lament is because even when we see suffering, we do not care. Even closer to home, homelessness, right? 
You might see someone on the side of the road at a building or at a, at a traffic light holding a sign or a cup asking for money. We are now culturally hardwired to not even allow ourselves to see such a person. Kids, do not look at them. Do not talk to them. They brought that upon themselves. They'll use the money for alcohol. That's not our Messiah. I think about the Good Samaritan, right? The story of the Good Samaritan. We don't know why the man in the road was that way. But Jesus tells us that it's good and right to go and comfort him and care for him. When we see people who are suffering, it's not enough to just say, I've seen him, check. That's not what God invites us into. And so often we're afraid to care. I think it's important to ask about big societal issues like homelessness. But also unique ones like that person on the side of the road. Or our neighbor or a foster family in our church or vulnerable grandparents now suddenly caring for grandchildren, a widower. Do we care? And the second question, or the third question rather we have to ask is, do we yearn for there to be restoration to what should be? Right, we might see them and we might even care about them, but do we yearn for restoration to what should be? Restoration of a relationship with God, first and foremost. That's what Lamentation 5 is about. Yes, it's true, right, that um, the, the author of Lamentations, what they're saying throughout is the most important thing is restoration between God and his people. The relationship is off, right? John Piper once said, um, we don't want to feed people on earth and starve them for eternity, right? We don't just want to like ease the suffering physically and not tell them about Jesus. We do need, when we see suffering, we do need to usher in a right relationship or heal what's broken between this person or within ourselves and God. It's good to reconcile first and foremost with the Lord, to seek restoration of what's broken. The yearning and lamentations isn't rooted in the suffering to stop, though the author wants that. The yearning is for God to restore the relationship between God and themselves. The author recognizes that restoration of their lives cannot happen without first reconciling with God. But it doesn't, of course, mean, I just want to put a little side note in there. It doesn't mean that we just go around preaching the gospel and saying, are you right with the Lord to someone who's homeless and not help them? It's also not saying that. But we need to be right with the Lord. The author is pleading with God to restore their situation because there's nothing left to do. Lamentations 5, 20 and 21 says this. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. 
lamenting happens when we see suffering and God grows our care for those that we're seeing. And then we yearn for restoration of what's broken. A, a good way to diagnose whether it's caring or yearning, because they can feel similar, right? It's like, what's the difference, Ryan? Caring is good. But yearning that, that leads to lament is better. And the difference is, sometimes we care. And really ask your Ask yourself, you might think you care, but really ask yourself, do I care? Because what happens sometimes in caring is I care about something to the degree that I want to fix it, but I don't desire restoration. I just want it to go away. It bothers me. I hate seeing this person homeless and I want to fix it. I want to like solve this problem so I don't have to be bothered by this person anymore. It just hurts too much. Like, I'm tired of talking to my friend who's struggling with this issue or that issue. Like, I just want to fix it. Not because I want it to be restored as it should be, but because I'm just tired of it eating at me. It's good to care, but it's better to yearn for restoration and to cry out for restoration. A restoration between God and ourselves a restoration by God to what it was or what it should have been in the first place to make things right. Do we yearn for restoration for those who are suffering? Now it's fully true that the situation described in Lamentations 5, the people are suffering because it was brought upon them because of their sin. But so often, right, and it's important we want to reconcile a relationship with God and ourselves, but so often we don't help people who the suffering has been brought upon them because of their sin. In 2000, there was a Barna study. I, I was really involved in, in helping with um, children who had been orphaned by AIDS. And, and in 2000, there was a, a Barna study done on, uh, among evangelicals. If you could help someone with HIV and AIDS, would you? 90% of American evangelicals said they would not. The primary reason was because these people brought it upon themselves. That's not our Messiah. Yes, God calls us to godliness and righteousness and all those things. But the, the God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, emptied himself and came to earth because his people his creations were suffering and will be forever separated from him. And he came to bridge the divide between what is and what could be an eternal life with him and a restoring of a relationship to, to him for all who believe and trust in him. Romans 5, 8 says, but, while, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even though it's true, Lamentations 5 talks about those who are suffering because of their sin. The author is calling out to God to still care. And too often we say, like, I don't have a right to care or to ask God to restore this because I brought this upon myself. And that's just not what God's word says. It is true that we are suffering because of our sin, but God still 
cares. And the last question is what can we do to bring about restoration, right? We might see about it. We might see suffering and then we might care and then we might yearn for it to be as it should be or as it once was. But I don't know about you, but like when I've seen something and I start to care about it and I yearn after it, like I want to do something. I want to make it right. What can I do to make it right? And I think that is when the other elements of lamentations or lamenting come in. Because the thing that we can do to bring about restoration is we have to go to God with our complaints. When the magnitude of what we've been seeing and caring about and yearning for gets to the point where we realize what has always been, we have to go to God because whether we feel like we can do it or not, it has always been true that we are at the mercy of God. And the challenges before us, friends, the challenges before us, the suffering around us is too great. And too often, our sense of humility is far too small. We believe that we can do these things. And then when we finally need the Lord, then we will go. But that's not what Lamentations calls us to. It calls us to start with bringing, to communicate our complaints to God rather than remain silent. He is bigger than our suffering. He is where we start. The title given to Lamentations 5 in the ESV is Restore Us to Yourself, O Lord. And that's a good summary of the chapter. So we have to go to God with our complaints, but then where appropriate, we confess our culpability. Lamentations 5 says, our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Are we culpable? We have to ask, like, are we responsible for the suffering that we're experiencing or the suffering around us? Are we responsible for that? Trent did a great job in, in uh, unpacking um, generational sin and culpability in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would point you to that sermon in chapter two a few weeks ago and he unpacks that more thoroughly than I will today but it was good I encourage you to go back and listen to it because because here the author is 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 confessing and admitting culpability like our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities there's a consequence for their sin but we have to ask like we have to confess our own culpability for our sin, for why we're suffering now. And in some ways, it's, it's, there's some things that we can easily recognize we have to be confessed culpability for, right? Like if I murdered someone and created suffering for that family, I would be culpable, right? But I would also point you to Matthew 25. We're not going to read it today, but I would encourage you this week to go through and read it where, where Jesus lays out where, um, where he has seen Christ through his people, right? When you, when you saw the thirsty and you gave them something to drink or the hungry and you gave them food or the naked and you gave them clothing, right? Where, where we see Jesus, where he has seen Jesus among his people, 
But he also, the, the part that we don't look at is in Matthew 25 where it goes on, where, where Jesus' people weren't doing what they were supposed to do, right? Where we didn't give water, where we didn't give food, where we didn't give shelter. We're culpable for that. Like murder's clear. I am culpable for that. But the absence of action and the needs to meet the needs and care and work toward restoration of those around us, we are culpable for that. Like when I walk by the homeless person and I say nothing, not even dignifying them with an identity, like I see you, my God sees you, the God that I have dedicated my life to and will joy for eternity made you and I see you. And we don't have time to smile or say hello to a person sitting on the side of a building with nothing left to do but to hold a sign and beg for mercy. Who are we as a people? We are culpable for that. Yeah, I didn't know this guy until I just saw him right now, right? I didn't like make his world, but I am culpable for the fact I will not allow my children to see this person. I am culpable for that. And that's just not me pontificating. Matthew 25 says that. Jesus says that. But I want to offer a caution there. When you read Matthew 25, our life group was just talking about this a couple weeks ago. When we read Matthew 25, it can be overwhelming and suffocating. The needs of the world are great. And we can't all go around like, mourning and suffering and grieving for everything that we see. After working in Southern Africa, and some of you have heard me say this before, after working in 14 years of doing missions work in, in Southern Africa, the number one thing I learned after burying hundreds of children and, and seeing the worst of humanity, the number one thing I've learned is God does not ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful. Faithful to do the next right thing in front of us. And if I'm faithful to do the next right thing, and I can trust that my people, my church, my community, my body of believers, our kingdom, the kingdom of God will also be doing those things. I can have faith that God's people will respond to the things that I cannot do. God doesn't ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful. So don't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of need, but also don't confuse friends. Don't confuse feeling overwhelmed with feeling released. Don't confuse feeling overwhelmed with feeling released. Feeling overwhelmed leads us into lament. So where appropriate, we confess our culpability. But then we make our request. We share that we're, what we're yearning after. And I've talked about that. And then we admit our need for a savior. He's the only one. I'm just following the elements of lament. We express our trust in God. John 5, 24 says, truly, truly. This is John 5, 24. It says, truly, truly. This is Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And friends, acknowledging this helps us lead, uh, helps lead us to unspeakable hope because it sets things as they are. 
It sets things as they are, not how we desire them to be. When we express our trust in God, because whether we see, care, or yearn, we are and have always been at the mercy of God. So then the last thing we do when we want to bring about restoration is we wait. We wait on the Lord. We wait with honest hearts and open hands and ready feet. We wait with honest hearts. 21 says this, 521 of Lamentations. It says, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. That's how it is. Whether we're aware of it or not, we're always at the mercy of God. Let's be honest about that. And then with open hands, 22 says, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. We have to have open hands. We're truly at his mercy. Our lamenting isn't about talking to God and checking off a box that I have done that. No, it's doing so and lingering there as a reminder that we're truly at his mercy. Yes, God calls us to pursue righteousness and obey and seek restoration and justice with our actions. We should do all of those things. But in the end, we're at his mercy. We could do all the things that God requires of us and still we see no change. But yet, we trust in the Lord. The Lord who gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So honest hearts, open hands, and ready feet. Listen to this. Verse 17, it says, For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. We have to have ready feet. I think about like a cornered rabbit in a thicket, right? Imagine a a rabbit in a thicket and and there's jackals prowling all around. And we're at our last breath. We're looking for our moment, fighting to see hope, trusting that there will be a way out. We're looking this way and that way. We are yearning for a way out and trusting that one will be provided. And then when we see it, we got to cling to it and believe in it and entrust in it. We don't know how it's going to work out, but we are going. We see our shot and we are going to take it. Because it has always been that way. We are at the mercy of God. When it comes, we need to be ready and trust the Lord. Lamentations 5, 19 says, But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. We trust in the Lord and hope grows because it is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. Yet it's important to note as we close here, it's important to note that despite these questions of seeing, caring, and yearning, and pursuing all we can for restoration, Lamentations 5 ends with inconclusiveness. There's no pretty bow. There's no like, well, that was a fun story. If you find yourself struggling with lamenting how to do it and where to begin, I encourage you to ask these questions, these four questions we've explored today. Lamentations does not end with resolution. In fact, it ends with pleading. It's left unresolved. And that is instructive. 
Friends, I don't know where lamenting will lead us. But I do know where it starts. It starts by seeing, caring, and yearning for restoration. This leads us to our only source of hope. It leads us to choosing to talk to God rather than remain silent. In the days and weeks ahead, if you're struggling about where to begin, how to make sense of the emotions in your heart, remember to start at the beginning. The beginning is a very good place to start. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the time in your word. I thank you that even though sometimes we feel no comfort, Lord, bringing our suffering to you grows our hope in you, grows our trust in you, gives us visibility to see what has always been so. We are at your mercy, and in you we trust, and we trust you alone. So God, hear our praises now. We love you, we trust you, we worship you with our lives. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Let's sing.